There we go. Story about Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. Before we get there, show you something a little funny. Go ahead on to the next one. So you got Calvin up there with a balloon, and then uh, starts flying away. Higher and higher he goes, and he starts floating over the landscape, and he says, this probably just goes to show something, but I sure don't know what. And then on down to the next line, he says, well, I suppose things don't get worse than hanging from a helium balloon a mile above some unrecognized state. And he keeps floating, and then he says, of course, my grip could weaken, or I could get sucked into a jet intake. That's one of the remarkable things about life. It's never so bad that it can't get worse. (laughs) Yeah. That's deep. The philosophy of Calvin and Hobbes. Brilliant theologian. That's funny. Okay. Genesis chapter 16, we're going to be looking at a story today um, where things continually plummet from from bad to worse. If you've got your Bibles, you can open there. I'll give you some context to lead us up. Basically, it's been 10 years since God called Abram. Um, Abram is the original name of Abraham. He eventually gets his name changed. God calls Abraham, Abram at the time, and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to use you, and through you and your family, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And I'm going to use your channel. I'm going to give you kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And you're going to look up at the stars in in Genesis 15. He says, look up at the stars and count them. If you can count them, that's how many uh, will your descendants be. Um, And so God does that. And and, and Abram follows God into this new land. And and he wanders. And and they they keep trying to to have kids. And there's ups and downs on this journey as they go. And... um, they keep trying to have kids, and, and it doesn't happen, and, and they try, and they fail, and they try, and they fail. After 10 years, they keep trying and failing after uh, year after year after year. And we pick up in Genesis 16, verse 1, and it says, Now Sarai, that's Sarah, same person, just also had a name change. She's Sarai in this story. Abram's wife had borne him no children. We can go ahead and move up a slide. Um, that's a problem. You see, Sarai, Abram's wife, is the matriarch of the family. She's the, the chief woman. She's the mother of the faith, right? She's, she's the, the, the number one um, woman in the clan of Abraham, of Abram. And as she's, she's going through her life, she's been given this, this, in, this instruction from God that they're going to be this, this great nation, this great family, and it's going to come through them. And 10 years of failed attempts, failure after failure after failure. And, and, and her one job as the matriarch of the family is to make babies. I mean, that's, that's what her purpose is, as she sees it in life, is to make babies. And so she has failed over and over. She's the problem here, right? She, she begins to feel like a failure and put the weight of all this on her own shoulders. Um, this is a big, big problem for her identity. She's feeling um, like she, she can't measure up. She's let down Abram. She's let down God. She's let down the tribe. Uh, and this promise of God can't possibly come through. Keep reading in verse 1. She had a female servant 
or she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. One more slide for me. Third character is introduced, Sarai, Abram. Abram's 85 years old. Sarai's 75 years old at this time. Hagar now introduced. Now, there's a lot of information given here about Hagar. She's a female, okay? She's an Egyptian, and she's a servant to Sarai, okay? Notice she's, she's an Egyptian, okay? Important for later on. So, Sarai comes up with this plan in verse 2, and Sarai said to Abram, behold, now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So, so Sarai, feeling like a failure, feeling like uh, God's promise is, is incapable of, of following through up until this point, he, he cannot possibly give them uh, a, a child. It's been 10 years, a failed attempt after failed attempt after all. She's now getting up there in age, past the years of prime childbearing, and so she hatches this plan that she's going to use her servant to, to fulfill the promise of God, a custom of the day. Um, this is not something that was super duper unusual, um, but, but it's it's her plan, and it's, it's highlighted here as not being, not being God's plan. Abram, um, sorry, here we go, in verse, uh, verse 3. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife. So you've got here, you've got a dialogue between Sarah and Abram, and she goes and tells Abram, she says, listen, God has, has done this to me. God, she blames God um, that she can't get pregnant, has this plan to be a success, and Abram listens. Now, the word listen in Hebrew, shema, can you say that? Shema. I'm not a Hebrew expert, but I've done some research. Shema means to listen, but it also means to carry out, okay? It's, there's not like a listen and obey word. It's the same word in Hebrew, shema, okay? And so don't use this as a little defense, guys, to just in one ear out the other, right? Like Abram listened to his wife, which is bad in this story, right? Okay? So I know some of you guys are like, yeah, all right. <laughs> See, honey, I'm watching TV, and this is the Bible tells me I can't. I don't want this to happen, right? As don't use this as, as, as uh, instructions for you to not listen to your wife. But use it as instructions not to listen and obey your wife's bad plans. How about that? We can say that. So the scheme is planned, and then it is executed. In verse 3, So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband as a wife. Plan is executed. Verse 4, and when he went into Hagar, she conceived. So, boom, success, right? Her plan works. Everything went according to Sarai's plan. Everything is going. But uh, there's a problem. You see, her, her plan is not a good plan. Sarai here is acting in self-centeredness. Sarai is acting in a plan that is focused on redeeming herself, seeing herself as a failure, trying to fix the fault that, that, that she's putting on herself, okay? She's decided to take matters into her own hands because God is either incapable of doing it or at least he's running late. You ever felt like that before? Like, like God's, um, maybe he could do it, but he's taken just a, a little too long to, to get there. So we just hurry it up a little, okay? Well, things at this point start to spiral out of control. Verse 4, Hagar conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt 
on her mistress. At this point, Hagar, now this wasn't up to Hagar, right? This is not her choice. She's a slave girl. Um, She has no choice in the matter. She was told, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be used for this. I'm going to use you, and this is what you're going to do. So she doesn't have a choice in the matter, right? So nobody can really blame Hagar. You kind of feel a little mercy for her. But, but here's what Hagar is doing now. It's in, literally in Hebrew, it's that Sarai became small in her eyes. It's like she's, she's looking down. She's like, oh, oh, my back. Sarah, you would not believe this, this baby. I just, I, it keeps me up all night. You know, I'm just, I'm walking around. My feet are swollen. I'm feeling nauseated, you know, and all it took was the one try, one attempt, one success. Jeez, what's that ratio? How many? Oh, that's right. It took, oh, 10 years. Wow. Poor, poor little Sarai, right? That's what she's doing. She's kind of flipping it back on her head, walking around in a tube top, (laughs) showing it off. I don't know. Is there an ancient tube top? I don't know about that. That's probably too far. So, so you can start to see this, right? Hurt, we, we've talked about this in Love Strong, right? Hurt people, hurt people. You, you can see the spiral downwards, right? Now, now of course, how is Sarai going to respond to this? Well, let's find out. Verse 5, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I'm done with this. This is your fault, Abram. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. She said, God's on my side in this one. This is all your fault. Is she right? Well, no, she's not right. This whole plan was her plan, right? Is it Abram's fault? It still kind of is his fault, right? You can see how this whole thing is just spiraling, spiraling into this family resentment building. People are getting angry. Hate is building. The, the spiral of, 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 in this case, sin, that's what the Bible calls self-centered choices, um, choices that elevate human beings to, to God's level to say, I'm going to choose my plan. That's all sin is. And, and then you can see it start to spiral out of control. Okay? And it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. So Abram, he's going to respond really well, right? But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Listen, I didn't do this. Okay? She's, you're the boss, right? I'm, not my problem. Okay? Okay, it is your problem, buddy, right? It's your wife and your wife, okay? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, sometimes the Bible characters seem so dumb. Um, but, but he's like, hey, I didn't do this, right? This, this is up to you. You, you, just, you just make yourself happy. Whatever makes you happy, you do. You be in charge, okay? You, you do this. And so um, Sarah's so like, all right, I'll do it. So what's she going to do? Verse 6, then Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar, and she fled from her. Sarai just takes Hagar and and puts her under them. Doesn't give a ton of details about it, but I I think we can imagine, right? She's a slave girl, and and she's been rubbing it in Sarai's face, and so she's going to afflict her, is the word. Deal harshly, she's going to afflict Hagar and put her under her thumb and just push on her, push on her. In fact, she pushes on her so hard that, that Hagar runs away. Think about that. Hagar runs away. Hagar is an Egyptian, a foreigner, an immigrant in a land that she doesn't belong. 
She is a slave girl. She's a woman. This day and age, that's, that's lower, right? And on top of all these things, she's pregnant. And she would rather run away than be one more day under Sarah's affliction. That's how bad it is. Can it get any worse? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. On the way to Shur, that, that gives us a clue. She's headed home. Shur's on the way to Egypt. She's, she's going back home. She's running. She's like, I, I just, I got to get out of here. I, I don't know where else to go. I, I'm going to go home. Um, I remember this. Have you ever, I mean, have you ever felt like that? Like, I just, I want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. I just want to go back to this thing in my mind that, that's better than where I'm at right now. I remember this in college. When I first got to college, it was like, you know, college is, you know, it's, it's, fun, it's fun, but I just, I want to go home right now. <laughs> like, I remember getting sick at college, and it's like, you got these shared bathrooms, and you got a roommate, and, you know, no offense, Max. Um, <laughs> but there's times when it's like, it's just a bunch of stinky boys around, and I just want to go home, <laughs> right? Okay, that's a fraction, obviously, of what Hagar's feeling. But she just wants to, she wants to run home. She wants to get out of here. And she's by, by a well in the wilderness, um, a spring in the wilderness, spring well, same thing. Wilderness, desert, okay? A, a barren land, a place where there's no people, a place um, where there's not a lot of nourishment, okay? In the wilderness, she's running home. It can't get worse for Hagar. Literally, sin leads to death. Have you heard that before? Sin leads to death. In this case, quite literally, the spiraling sin vortex has sucked so hard that it's pulled Hagar even down to the pit where she is as good as dead, her and her unborn baby at this point. She's as good as dead. The angel of the Lord found her, Verse 7, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Let's uh, talk about being in the, uh, in the wilderness for a minute. Ever watch one of those uh, survival shows? I like to watch those uh, survival shows. Um, Man versus Wild or Survivor Man or whatever. Um, the best one, I think, is Survivor Man because he has to film himself out in the wilderness. He goes out into the wilderness in some harsh climate. He creates some hypothetical scenario like a plane crash or uh, washed up on an island, and he films himself for a week surviving, okay? And, and the whole point of the show is that this guy is an expert survivor and you can survivalist, and you can watch him be pushed to his mental and physical limits, and at the same time, watch him in his resourcefulness. I mean, he's an expert. He's done this before. He goes out there, and he stays for a week, and then he gets rescued. That's the whole premise of the show. He just does this over and over. It's kind of, it's kind of fascinating. But, but what's an amazing about it is this guy's an expert survivalist, and he goes in these harsh climates, and then he's just stalling for a week, okay? He's just waiting there for a week. This is bleakness, okay? It's a picture of bleakness. That's where Sarah's at, right? I mean, uh, Hagar's at right now, when the angel of the Lord finds her. Now, who's the angel of the Lord? There's really two terms in the Bible. There's an angel of the Lord, and there's the angel of the Lord. Um, there's a little bit of debate about um, who is what and what exactly that term means. 
When you read in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, and Lord is capitalized um, when you see that, that means the angel of Yahweh, the messenger of Yahweh, that is a divine figure. Some people actually believe that, that this divine figure is Jesus Christ. Before his incarnation in the flesh, um, Jesus Christ showing up, and, and he's, he's throughout the, the Old Testament. Um, whether it's, it's Jesus specifically or not, it doesn't really matter. The point is this, that this figure is divine. This is a God figure, okay? The angel of the Lord um, is God, okay? Let's keep going. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar, he knows her, he knows her name. He calls out to her, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? He knows who she is and he knows that she's on the way somewhere. You see, she's not in a settling place. She's moving. And in this settling place or in this place that she stopped, he knows that she doesn't belong there, that she's come from somewhere and she's going to somewhere. And so he asks her, where have you come from and where are you going? And she says, um, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. I'm just, I'm, I'm running away. You see, I'm an outsider longing for a home. I've been afflicted and used by an authority figure. I'm, I'm in pain. I'm in grief. I'm in loss. I mean, we've all been in these wilderness experiences before where we just want to run away. Maybe it's, it's personal failure, general weakness, whatever it is. You've, you've heard about this. You've been in this before, okay? A lot of people in our church are going through something like this right now. And so what does God say to her? The angel of the Lord said to her, in verse 9, Return to your mistress and submit to her. <laughs> Don't throw stuff at me. Throw stuff at your Bible. If you want to punch me, just punch it. It's in the Bible. No, but this is not a message to everyone to say, go back to affliction. This is not a message to everyone that applies all the time that says, go back under the hand that afflicts you. This is a message to Hagar, but I think there is an eternal message here um, th- that applies. And, and, it's, and it's basically this. Sometimes God liberates. Sometimes God waits. Sometimes God liberates, and sometimes God waits. And so he says, return to your mistress, uh, go back there, and he says, submit yourself to her. Submit to her. That word submit is, is the very same word that, that it says um, Hagar was treated by Sarai. She was afflicted by her. He says, return and be afflicted by her. Go back and be afflicted. Man, I was hoping for some good news. <laughs> so was Hagar. Were you open for good news? How disappointing to hear that. Should we call it? Or should we, should we get to the good news? Are you guys ready for the good news? Okay. The angel of the Lord also said to her, okay, here it comes, also. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears. Remember Shema, the word listen, God hears, okay? El, God, Shema, El, Ishmael, okay? Same word, God hears, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Oh, good news, right? Isn't that good? God hears. Isn't that good? I love that. 
That's awesome. Kind of weird with the whole donkey thing. Um, but, but basically this, okay. Notice it, it, it says God hears. First of all, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to give you a multitude. What does that sound like? A multitude of kids. Who does that remind you of? Abram, right? The very same blessing that happened just a little bit before. It's almost as if God said, just by brushing up against Abram, my chosen channel of blessing that I'm going to bring through the whole world, just by brushing up against him, all it takes is that, and boom, I'm going to bless you. Not because Abram is something special, not because Abram is just this like King Midas touches and comes to gold type thing. It's because I've chosen to use Abram as my tool, my avenue to bless the whole world, which you happen to be. And so she rubs up against Abram and God just blesses uh, the heck out of her. And then he says, I, I, I hear your affliction and you're going you're gonna to name the son that I see in your womb, right? I look into your womb. I don't need a, an ultrasound, right? I can see you're having a son and you're going to name him God hears. And every time you say his name, uh, you're going to be reminded, God hears. Hey, God, God hears. Come to dinner. God hears, right? Hey, God, that's what it is every time. It's a reminder because God has heard your affliction. Not necessarily your prayers, asking God for help, but quite literally the affliction itself God has heard. It hurt him so much it bothered him, not just to hear it, but to act on it. Remember, Shema, listen and carry out. Listening that provokes action. God has heard your affliction. That is good news. I'll just move quickly over the donkey thing. Um, Ishmael, um, this is, it's actually really cool. Um, donkey rhymes with the place that he eventually settles at, which is in the wilderness. And, and it's, it's a really cool poem. It's just this poem. Um, uh, and it's a poetic technique to basically say, um, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a foreshadowing of his life, which is going to be full of conflict. He thinks he's the firstborn, right? And he's going to inherit this wonderful blessing, and then it ends up being Isaac, and then he gets kicked out, and he has to go settle in where? The wilderness, okay? He's a wilderness boy. It's like, you know, if you said somebody rhymes with cow, um, you know, something like that, and that's, they end up being a cowboy. I don't know. I'm just kind of helping you understand a little bit. Basically, Ishmael's going to have a, a difficult life, and uh, he's going to grow up in the wilderness. So back to the listening thing. There's, there's an ironic point here. The Bible, so, the, you guys, the Bible's so good. Um, it just, it like, there's a lot of things that are just like, it's such good um, literary, you know, work. Um, and this one in particular, there's, a, there's an irony here that you may not catch, okay? So I'm going to help you catch it. Who wrote uh, Genesis? Anybody? Moses, okay? Moses wrote Genesis, okay? Now, who's enemy number one for Moses and the people that he follows, or leads, the people that follow Moses? Egypt, right? And Moses ends up fleeing from Egypt, okay, because he's done something wrong. And, and, and when he flees Egypt, he goes and, and then he, he encounters a, a burning bush. You remember this story, right? And what does God say to him? I have heard your affliction. You see, the people that Moses is writing this to are people who were afflicted in slavery by the Egyptians, okay? 
Are you seeing it? Not only that, but the author, Moses, wants you to think about that as you're reading this, not only because the language is incredibly similar and the circumstances are incredibly similar, but only a few verses prior, which we didn't get to. Um, we're just popping this one um, chapter out at a time. Notice in, verse, uh, or in chapter 15, if you've got your Bibles in 16, it's just a little bit further back, verse 13. The Lord said to Abram, this is a prophecy concerning the line of Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not their own. They will be foreigners, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Okay? They're giving you all the traffic signals, right? They're giving you the exit sign, right? Half a mile, Further back, a mile, three-quarters of a mile, right? It's like, you're getting close, okay? And the irony here is that these people who were under Egyptian slavery, persecution in a land not their own, and were liberated by God, think about the flip of this. Hagar is an Egyptian woman afflicted by one of God's people. The most sympathetic character in this whole story is an Egyptian woman. This is shocking, okay? This is surprising. This is like TMZ, okay? This is tabloid-type stuff. You, ever, you know, some of you who buy the magazines, you know who you are at the grocery store. Everybody reads them, right, when you're waiting in line. And you go, oh, so, so Meghan Markle's and, you know, Prince Harry didn't sign a prenup. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, whoosh. some of you are like totally tracking. This is shocking, right? This is like news, noteworthy, okay? This is like, hey, this is, this, is, this is crazy, okay? When's the last time that God's love shocked you? Like that. This is, this is God's love reaching into a place that just seems so backwards. And so Hagar, experiencing this voice that says God hears you, has this awakening. Verse 13 So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. All right, cool. So she named a well, and it's in a place that I don't understand. So let's keep moving. No, wait, stop. Um, there's, there's this cool symmetry. Again, the Bible, guys, it's so good. Um, so the, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, God sees, El Roy. God, El Roy sees. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Okay? There's a little bit of a weird translation there. Probably the best way to, to translate it is actually, truly I have seen the backside of him who looks at me. Probably better. Therefore, the well was called the well of the living one who sees. Come on. That is good. Right? God sees, and I have seen the backside of uh, of the one who sees me. And so I'm going to name this well, the well of the living one who sees. Now you got it, right? Isn't that cool? The well of the living one who sees. It's, and the first thing, she's actually the first person in the Bible to name God. Did you know that? 
to actually to make a name for God, to name him and say, God sees. What a great name, too. And then she asked this question, have I really looked after the one who sees me? This is reminiscent language, reminiscent of Moses' later years when he asked God, can I see your glory? And God passes behind him. He hides him in the cleft of the rock and passes behind him. That, that's the same kind of thing, right? It doesn't look right at him, but it's like you, could, you can see the effects. You can see a glimpse of it, okay? A, a glimpse of God. That's kind of how, how it's like for her. And she has this awakening like, did I really just see God? She asks herself that question, and so she names the well, the well of the living one who sees. That is, I just love that. I could just, all day, I could read that, right? The well of the living one who sees. This is the place where I was seen by God. And not just the God who was like looking at me with a telescope, okay? This God's alive. He's active. He hears and does. He sees and saves, right? God has heard me. God has seen me when I was invisible. And, and God has, has saved me from the spiral of sin. And then she names the well as a, as a reminder. It's like a gospel message, right? So that everyone who comes by this well is going to hear the same thing. Guess what? When you are afflicted, God hears. When you feel invisible, God sees. And when you're in this spiral of sin that you can't get out of, God saves. That's the good news, right? Mm, I love that. Did any of you get the canal talk as a kid? We grew up in a, a dry place and there's a lot of agriculture, okay? So naturally, we have a lot of canals. I don't know about you, but um, when I was little, my dad freaked me out of canals because they look so like, oh, I could just go swim and look at this nice, lazy river. I know how to swim. I'm a good swimmer. I'm going to jump in this canal and swim. Bad idea. Kids, don't swim in canals. This is what he told me, too, you know? They're extremely dangerous, right? And they're so tempting as a, as a little kid to do it. So he freaked me out. Of can- Did anybody else get the canal talk? I feel like it may have been, like, a my family thing, because I feel like my family has just, like, got this. They're dangerous. It's, it's a good fear to have, but so don't swim in canals. But I got this talk, like, if you even look at a canal, you're going to die. Um, uh, but, but the reason is because if you get, you know, you can get in a canal and you can be a good swimmer, but the current is too strong, right? It doesn't matter if you're Michael Phelps out there. You can't swim your way out of a canal's current, okay? You can get sucked down in, into something and, and held down in there, and it doesn't matter how strong, how good of a swimmer you are, you cannot pull yourself out of that vortex, right? You, it requires rescue, Okay? That's, that's exactly this, right? It's like God, God hears the drowning, the drowning noises, and, and then God looks under the water and, and sees, and so he reaches his hand down into the canal and pulls her out. And so Hagar returns home. Verse 15, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Hagar returns home. She tells Abram the story, no doubt. Listen, God heard my affliction. God saw me when I was invisible. And God saved me 
from the spiral of sin. And now we're going to name this boy God Hears as a reminder every time we say his name that this is the God that we serve. She goes home, names him, and uh, Abram follows, uh, follows the lead on that one. Think about this. It's, it's unspoken, but I think it's fair. Maybe Ishmael is also a message to Sarai. Did you think about that? The story ends right here. And then, like 14 years later or something like that, it picks back up in the next chapter. The next verse after this is 14 years later. That's it, okay? So for 14 years, there's not anything in the Bible. We know what's happening. But we know that, that now Sarah's got to watch Hagar come in. She's got this, this new baby, right? And, and, and this baby is called God Hears. It's almost as if God is, is whispering to Sarah, hey, I hear you too. Okay? Just, I hear you too. So why the heck is this story in the Bible? Why, why of all the stories that they could have told, did they put this in? Why, why is it important to, to Moses, to, for his people to have this story? Why is it important for God that this story is in the Bible? It's, it's a very old story. But it's also a very relevant story, isn't it? It's pretty new person grows dissatisfied with God, devises a plan, no one stops the plan, people get hurt, hurt people hurt people, hunger, fear, pain, resentment, disease, death spread in this spiral, this sin spiral, okay? I want to um, point something out to you. This is also not just this story. This is a retelling of a story that has already happened. Maybe, maybe you're kind of thinking about it already. I'll show you. Go ahead, Jim, on the next slide here. Um, I think I'm becoming, oh, wait, is it not there? Maybe one more? Yeah, we didn't move. That's the well. Okay. God hears affliction, sees, saves from sin spiral. One more. Okay. I'm becoming the chart guy, I feel like. This is a retelling of the fall from Genesis chapter 3. Linguistically, you cannot avoid the similarities. There's a loophole. Sarah, Sarah finds a loophole in God's plan, and it seems like, hey, Eve, did God really say? So Sarah said to Abram, and the woman said, there, you got this, this back and forth, this taking, this, this tempting, um, you know, God has this layout. And, and Eve, Adam, Sarai, Abram kind of feel like that layout's not the best, so we're going to take this alternate route. We're going to take this route around it. Linguistically, syntactically, dictionally, you cannot avoid this as a retelling of the fall. After they, they sin, uh, it, it spirals into this thing where they're hidden somewhere, and God in both stories comes and says, where are you? This is a retelling of the very first story. You see, in the beginning, God made things good. He made this wonderful, beautiful earth. But, but things started to fall apart when, when humanity started to choose uh, their own vision, their own plan. And it, and it fell into a death spiral. Same thing, Cain and Abel. Same thing, Tower of Babel. Same thing, Genesis 16, right? It's the same story over and over and over. This sin vortex spiraling out of control, and there's only one answer to the sin vortex, and it's God stepping in and saying, I'm not going to let this happen anymore. I'm going to reach down, and I'm going to rescue my people, right? As everyone chooses independence, they are in desperate need, like a canal pulling them in of a Savior. Can't do it yourself. And so as God heard the affliction and God sees the invisible people on earth, uh, in the middle of this distress, God reaches in 
and he saves from sin spiral. And how does he do that? By sending his son, Jesus Christ who lived a perfect, sinless life, the life that we couldn't live, who went to the cross to die on our behalf. It's the gospel. It's the same message, right? That God reaches in and God saves. Jesus died and rose, conquering, breaking the cycle, the spiral of sin and death. And I don't know where you are today, um, but there's a lot of applications. Maybe your vision of God today needs to change. Maybe your vision of God's love is too small. Maybe you need to be awoken to the idea that God, God's love is bigger and, it's, and God's love saves Egyptians and women and slaves and Democrats and Republicans and, and black and white and Indian and Mexican and, and rich and poor and men and women, right? Maybe you just need to open your mind uh, about God's love. I mean, when was the last time that God's love surprised you? Maybe you need to understand your purpose. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? No. Your purpose, your mission is God's mission. You inherited that through him. He wants to use you as a blessing to all nations. You see, God has such strong love for the people around us. He, wants, he hears the affliction of those just, just everywhere, and, and he wants to use you as a conduit, as a vehicle to say, I hear them, I see them, and I want to save them. And maybe that's what you need to do, to be a Bir Lahai Roy, a place where God sees the invisible. Maybe you're like Sarai, making plans. Maybe you've been following God for a while, and it just is not working out. Maybe your life's not where you want it to be. Maybe you don't have uh, all the things that you want to have, and you're tempted to rush out in front of God even if it hurts people. Maybe you need to hear today that sometimes God liberates, and sometimes God waits. Maybe you're like Abram, passive and coy towards sin people-pleasing, and peacekeeping, but you're perpetuating the problem. That was good, right? People-pleasing and peacekeeping at the cost of allowing sin to just keep going. It's a death spiral. Take a stand for something. Maybe that's you today. Maybe today you're sort of like Hagar. You feel invisible. You feel in the wilderness. You're afflicted. I know there's a lot of affliction. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of wilderness in our church right now. Maybe you need to hear today that God hears the affliction. God sees you when you feel invisible, and God wants to save you. But it, it requires something from you. It requires you choosing not to just keep falling in this spiral because you're not a strong enough swimmer to get out of it yourself. And it requires a choice to say, I'm going to let you save me from this. You've got to choose God. Maybe today's the day you've got to do that. Wherever you are, Today, the message is this. God hears affliction, God sees the invisible, and God saves from the spiral of sin. And this church today can be a Bir Lahai Roy where we can come to the well of the living one who sees and saves. Understand that God's strong love does all those things through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this story. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is so beautifully written that we can just soak it in as wonderful literature. Thank you, Lord, that these are not platitude stories that just float up above our heads in the clouds. But thank you, Lord, for these stories about Egyptian slaves, about barren 
wives and about passive husbands. Thank you, Lord, for the stories of salvation that we can hold on to knowing in our affliction that you hear it and that when we feel invisible, you see us and that as we spiral out of control, you break it and save us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.